Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Amy Wooten, a program director with Cancer Pathways in Seattle. It happens to be an ideal position for Amy, who has experienced her own cancer diagnosis, that with breast cancer, and thus brings very tangible experience to this work and empathy with the people she interacts with. Amy joins us now to share some insights. Amy Wooten, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you so much, Kate. I'm happy to be here. Well, you know, that happy for me is happy, like not only for this morning's conversation that we can talk about you and your journey, but happy that you have conquered breast cancer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's kind of surreal to be able to say that, actually. Well, it is, I'm sure for you in many different ways, which you're welcome to share with us. But for me, I'm thinking you're a young woman and we don't think about young women and breast cancer. In fact, that's part of your story where no one, well, the medical profession wasn't really looking at your having breast cancer because you were only 28 at the time. Yeah. So I was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 28, and I was diagnosed at stage three, and it completely flipped my world upside down. But what was honestly the most shocking was you're 100% right. More often than not, we associate breast cancer with being the older woman's cancer. And so it was really hard for me to wrap my head around that at first. And even more so, since it's so uncommon for young women under the age of 40, even under the age of 45, to be diagnosed with breast cancer without a family history, my medical team at first really didn't believe that I had breast cancer until we got the appropriate scans. So I have a little advantage here because I looked at your website. Let's mention your website because I think others may find it really beneficial in many different ways in terms of their own life and journey. Yeah, I'm more than happy to share it. So it's amyambeatscancer.com. And it was a place that was actually created by my support community, my, my family at first. And then I took it over because it was very therapeutic to be able to update my support community. But on there, it kind of has a little bit of my story and the updates during my first year throughout treatment. And that's where I discovered that there was this disbelief on the part of the medical community that you could possibly have breast cancer, and yet you had this, I'm going to say, a huge growth that was continuing to grow, and yet how would they regard that if not considering it might be a cancer? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. And I will start by saying that, you know, my first initial relationship with the medical staff at the very beginning when they didn't believe me was a little bit not positive, but I will say that my team throughout the rest of my journey was absolutely phenomenal. But I think that getting to that point means that you have to advocate for your own health. And the reason why my lump in my breast was so large is because I wasn't listening to my body and I wasn't originally trying to figure out what might be wrong, I guess. And so, and and I didn't have anybody else that would be advocating for me at that age. So I will start with that. But yeah, the, the lump was not a pea size, which again, it's really, really a stereotypical thing is that you, you see breast cancer in older women and it's usually like, oh, you're looking for a pea sized lump. Mine was more like a block of cheese, if I'm being completely honest. It was like half of my entire breast. And that's what's so mind-boggling to have that going on. I would be beside myself with absolute anxiety. 
if that appeared on my body. And you must have been, or at a young age, you're, are you thinking, oh, this, it's some crazy thing, but you go to the doctor ultimately anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, and when I was diagnosed, it was in, still in the middle of um, very much the pandemic and, you know, going into the hospital or going to get yourself checked out, you know, you were taking a bed from somebody who really needed it or it was you would be surrounded by sick people, which was not the case whatsoever. So there was all of those things going through my mind as well of like, oh, you know, whatever is happening to me isn't that pressing. The other thing to note is that my cancer was super aggressive and quick, that it was very likely that I didn't have my cancer for very long. So for me not to realize that something was growing, I wasn't doing a self-breast exam because no one had ever taught me. I wasn't noticing those things because um, part of my background is I, I was a college athlete and you just push through and you have a mindset that, you know, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And so all of these things were adding up and felt very obvious when I reflect back on it that like, oh, you should listen to your body. And you shouldn't say that other people need medical care more than you because it could be that you're going through something serious. So, yeah, that's a little bit of the crazy hecticness that was going through my head in the very beginning of, do I go in? Do I not go in? Right. And key here, too, you had mentioned that family history. So I am assuming that there's not been a family history of breast cancer in your immediate family. Um. That it's a little bit of a hard question to answer. So yes, but no. My maternal grandmother had breast cancer. They caught it very, very early at stage one. And it was kind of like a minor um, situation. And all of that was disclosed, you know, when you first go into a doctor and you fill out all of the, all of the paperwork and you write down your family history. But it was never anything that indicated that I needed to be on a high watch list because my mother has not been diagnosed with cancer and, and doesn't have any signs of that. Right. And did you know this actually about your grandmother prior to your diagnosis? Or is that something you learned as you were need, going through having to give all this background history? Uh, it was something I did know about my, my grandma. Mm. Which yeah. is great. To have that kind of open communication in a family is really helpful. Oh, it's huge. It's so important, especially... For anybody who gets diagnosed with cancer or has any sort of illness that comes up, like I think family history can be so beneficial for your medical team to know because they can really start to cater your care in a much more intentional way. And so I think the open communication is definitely something that benefited me and will continue to benefit me throughout my life as I share with my family going forward. And I want to just step back again to your saying advocating for yourself. I don't know that we can stress that enough, that if we we know our body, if we suspect something's really just off where it shouldn't be, then we need to look for a second and a third opinion because as we have evidence in your case, it was really, really ultimately a life and death situation. Yes, yes, it was. So a little bit of context. So when I finally decided to go in to get the care and go see my primary care provider, she did a breast exam and the lump was so large, she truthfully thought that it was nothing. And I was not alarmed whatsoever. And so she goes, we'll just order a ultrasound and a mammogram just to be safe, even though it's probably nothing. So I went in for my ultrasound and mammogram the next day. Well, actually, I called first to schedule it. 
and I was met with laughter on the phone that I was never going to get a mammogram and that it was silly that I was even coming to the breast center because I was 28 years old. And so that obviously doesn't feel good, but I didn't want to take any more time off of work and I just wanted a peace of mind basically. So I didn't, didn't have to keep thinking about what is this pain or this feeling I have on my left side. And so I pushed forward and I said, no, I really want this ultrasound and mammogram. And they're like, okay, well, you're not going to get a mammogram. So when I went in for the actual appointment, I got laughed at again of like, why are you here? Like you're 28. Are you sure you're in the right place? And I said, yes, I am. I have an appointment for an ultrasound and I'd like to know if I can get a mammogram. So once again, I pushed for the mammogram and again was met with rolling eyes and no, you're never going to get that. And it wasn't until my tech who was actually doing the ultrasound, she all of a sudden her face started to fall and the radiologist came in and said, hey, where are those scans? And the woman who was scanning me said, she's still on the table right here. And the radiologist looked at the screen of the ultrasound, looked at me, looked at the screen, then looked back at me and said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 28. And she goes, no, how old are you? Hmm. I said, I'm 28 years old. And then she said, get her a mammogram stat. So... I think it's huge to push and to definitely take control and advocate for your health because mine wasn't a pea-sized lump. And had it been a pea-sized lump, they probably could have just dismissed it. But since it was such a large tumor, I got that mammogram stat. But if it had been so much smaller and I had gotten the clear from just that ultrasound, I could have walked away and been diagnosed with stage four months and months later. So that's why I think it's so important to push and advocate for your health and on top of that, to listen to your body. And that's the beauty of, you know, there are doctors and people in healthcare there to help and support you. And so if you feel like something's off or something's not right, I think it's so important to share that and to speak up. Because even if it's something small or nothing at all, it can give you a lot of peace of mind and you can keep moving forward. Precisely. But in this case, finding that it was really your worst nightmare They got you started on treatment immediately. How did that feel for you? Overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the first week or two of the immediate diagnosis, because an ultrasound and a mammogram can't definitively say that you have cancer, you have to get a biopsy. And so the biopsy can take anywhere between five to seven business days. And so that was probably the hardest for both me and my family of just waiting because there was a very, there was like a 95% chance it was breast cancer, but you know, there's still that 5% chance of hope. And so you just feel numb and you're going through the motions and you're not really sure how to feel. And that's where my support system really showed up for the first time and continued to show up throughout the rest of my treatment. But it is very overwhelming. And the support system, let's just take a, a little detour there, although that it, it's a major thing. But to talk about having a support system, how crucial is that in the journey? Um, I think it's almost in some ways as important as your treatment. I don't believe that you can go through something so aggressive in terms of treatment without people and a community around to keep you sane and remind you of who you are. And even on the bad days, just be there for you, whether it's in person or dropping something off. I think that your support system in your community, it can really transform the way that you aggressively treat your cancer. And so we'll refer back to your website. I think it really is so 
educational, along with being informative, seeing what that team looked like. Not that everyone replicates that, but getting a sense of what it can look like, what you can do. And now you're telling us how critical it is in terms of the health journey. Yeah. So my support system, I'm really fortunate and lucky to have such a tremendous family. I have three wonderful loving parents and a sister and my boyfriend who actually, um, my partner and I had only been seeing each other for three months. It was very new and fresh in our relationship. And it was like, oh, we're still in the cute little honeymoon phase, yet here we are. (laughs) And I have this life altering thing. And every single one of them stuck by my side. On top of that, I had family all over the West Coast and all the way to India that were sending me love and just words of encouragement or just holding space for me. And then I even had a phenomenal support team in my staff at the time at the University of Washington, who even knew that staff in your workplace could be so dramatically impactful during a cancer diagnosis. Uh, Absolutely. Along with that, you're mentioning working for the university. So you did have good healthcare coverage. So that was not a stress you had to be concerned with as to how was this going to be covered? Yeah. And that was another really lucky thing. You know, uh, just being able to tap into the healthcare that I had was just phenomenal. So the journey, it did include surgery, didn't it? Yes. So my treatment, um, I did it all. I had uh, started with chemotherapy did six rounds of chemo, then I um, had a mastectomy, and then I went straight into radiation. And I actually had a a slight revision, so I had two surgeries um, because my first surgery wasn't healing properly. So I kind of did it all. And then uh, hormone therapy to continue to stay cancer-free for the next 10 years. And now you need to follow up with an appointment, what, every few months, every twice a year? What is it? Yeah. Uh, and everybody, everybody's treatment is, plan is a little bit different. And I actually say when, when it comes to I, I want to take a moment to say, once you get diagnosed, your advocacy and pushing forward doesn't end there. Like always ask for a second opinion, even if you trust wholeheartedly in your healthcare team, like the second opinion can just give you more of that peace of mind. And it can also introduce you to clinical trials or other ways to treat your cancer that feels more authentic and right to whoever you might be or how you want to progress through, you know, kicking cancer's butt. But yes, I I definitely leaned into my second opinion, um, which happened to be the exact same, (laughs) Uh, but it gave me a lot of peace of mind that my treatment plan was the best plan for me. And now what it looks like for follow-up is you get put on like a three-month watch plan, then you get to graduate. I call it graduating. You graduate to a six-month watch plan. And then after so many clear, clean scans, then you will go to every year. Phew. What? What a time. Uh, and you... I'm very used to being in the hospital. <laughs> oh, and what a time to be in the hospital going through it with COVID and Thankfully, you did advocate for yourself. You were as sick as anyone, so you definitely had a right to be there. But we do know that some people either delayed or it was delayed for them, that they were not able to get the kind of treatments they needed for some serious uh, illnesses, including cancer. Yeah, so I that is huge to me because I see how crucial preventative care and routine screenings can be to catching your cancer early. And COVID did. It had a massive impact on our 
entire society, but those preventative measures and the routine cancer screenings got delayed for so many people, not just in Seattle, not just in Washington, but across the nation and across the world. And so if there's anything I can say is when it comes to your health, if there's something you can take control of, like take control of the fact of going in for that that physical for leaning into, you know, listening to your body, to getting those cancer screenings, even if you have that question, or if you have that family history, have the conversation with the primary care provider to see which screenings are the ones that you should be doing and taking control of wherever you are in your life. And just a question about getting a second opinion, Mm -hmm. which you did. How do you find who you do that with? And how do you go about that? Uh, you know, actually, it's really interesting. You think that a second opinion is like, oh, you know, well, my, my healthcare team, um, we call it a tumor board. Well, my tumor board think that I'm crazy for wanting a second opinion, and they're so open to it. In fact, they will, they actually welcome second opinions because it also makes them better because they can have the conversation. If somebody were to see a different treatment plan as a better option, they get to learn as well. So my team actually was the one who got me connected with the the folks for my second opinion. Good to know. It's really valuable to us to have a sense of this rather than having to go into this essentially blindly and wondering, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? But to know that there's just this help and guidance along the way. The other area that was really interesting is you start to learn how many people are impacted by cancer because when it comes time to ask for that second opinion, I had a lot of people in my community who said, hey, here's where I had my treatment. Here's who my doctors were. I can't recommend them enough. Let me know if I can connect you. And even if you're like, if, if my healthcare team hadn't given me the referral for a second opinion to another hospital, there were so many other people who were offering me, you know, folks that they would recommend and why they would recommend them and, and how they felt listened and heard by their team. So unfortunately, cancer impacts everyone. I, I like to say that when um, an individual gets a cancer diagnosis, they obviously become a member of a club they never wanted to be a member of. But when that individual gets the cancer diagnosis, the family and loved ones also kind of get a cancer diagnosis. And so it's navigating it all together. It's, you know, everybody's facing what that looks like as one, even though there's, you know, the person who was diagnosed and then the rest of the support group. Right. And that is such a key thing to remember. And if a person finds that they're actually kind of here, say it's in our Seattle area, and um, they don't have a community really around them, there is one great place that builds community and provides all kinds of important support. And you happen to be working for them now. Yes, I am. And actually, um, so that, that place is called Cancer Pathways, and uh, it's located here in Seattle, but we have services that reach people all across the nation. The beauty of the pandemic is so many things moved virtual that now we get to expand our impact. But yeah, Cancer Pathways, is, uh, I feel really lucky to be the program director, and I was drawn to Cancer Pathways because of my own background and history with fighting cancer. Um, and being diagnosed with cancer. And I was so lucky that I had such a great community that when I saw what the mission of facing cancer together at Cancer Pathways, I was really drawn to that mission because I know so many people that I shared chemo rooms with that didn't have a support system, that didn't have, you know, a mom that was trying to get into the room, even though it was the pandemic and COVID and you couldn't have any guests with you. Like, I want to make sure that everybody feels like they also have that 
that sense of community and the support group that they need in order to be their best self as they undergo one of the toughest things that they'll probably ever do. Right. So, yes, cancerpathways.org has been a guest Someone from the organization, like recently, Anna Gottlieb, the executive director, was here recently. So we keep taps on that, but it's really important to keep reminding people that if you need community, regardless of your age, there's where great community exists. And there's something for everyone. It's not just, you know, Cancer Pathways isn't, we're not just trying to help support the, the person diagnosed with cancer or, or undergoing treatment, there's something for the children that are impacted by cancer that might have a parent um, or for the parents that have a child who's impacted by cancer, for the family, the loved ones. We have a, a summer camp called Camp Sparkle, which I know that has been featured on here before. But, you know, the unique thing about Camp Sparkle is that anybody can go to camp who has been impacted by cancer. They don't have to necessarily be the one diagnosed with it. And I think that that's really a unique, beautiful thing about Cancer Pathways is we see anybody who is facing or impacted by this horrible disease as somebody that can come into our our clubhouse and there's something there for everyone. And let's take a moment to mention, because thinking of the the age range of persons affected by cancer, uh, dealing face-to-face with cancer spans from very young to quite elderly. So there's a a great fashion show and gala coming up uh, in October that will feature such individuals, 25 of them. And uh, that's a great way to to hear the stories and, and also to support the work of Cancer Pathways. Right, Amy? Yes. Yes, the, the, the gala is, um, so I have yet to see the gala in action, but I cannot tell you how much energy and, and enthusiasm is centered around this phenomenal event. So what it is, is yes, the 25 individuals who have been impacted by cancer, um, they actually get to, they're, you know, normal, normal people like us, and they uh, get to walk the runway as a model um, in front of loved ones and family members, and it's a beautiful experience. I got to see one of our rehearsals. And just to see folks who just came from chemo or are a couple days out from surgery and they get to walk in this confident manner and really own who they are in their body because chemo and cancer, it can really change, you know, the way you see yourself in the mirror. And the gala is is our opportunity to really celebrate those individuals and the beautiful humans they are inside and out. Yes, so definitely check the cancerpathways.org website. You can purchase tickets there and uh, definitely be there to see this wonderful event unfold. Yes, So back to you and how you went through that journey, mentioning chemo and radiation. I imagine there were some pretty down days. There were, but, you know, I think that you take it, literally take it some days like one step at a time when you're trying to get your exercise just putting one foot in front of the other is sometimes the best way to get get outside and moving forward I would say that one of the hardest and weirdest experiences for me was like yes I was gonna lose my hair but I didn't realize how much that was going to impact me like I was like okay hair whatever you know I throw it up in a ponytail like I I still miss putting my hair up in a ponytail like I cannot wait for that day when it gets long enough for me to put it back up um but it's really interesting because on your hardest days there's a lot of self-reflection on you know what brings me joy in this very moment what things can I control and how you know 
I think also setting goals and something to look forward to is also really huge. So would you be saying that be gentle with yourself and take it moment by moment, literally that step by step, but also dream and and think about the things that you will be doing? Yes, uh, absolutely. I think uh, I, during my own treatment, um, there, it's not uncommon for cancer patients to have delays in their treatment, but that can feel really grueling when you're just so badly want it to be over and you get delayed, which means that you're stuck in this suck is what I like to call it. You're stuck in the suck a little bit longer. And so my family, my support team always tried to find things to, you know, help me look forward to. I got to plan a surprise engagement party for one of my best friends. Um, and whether or not I was able to attend, it was something that was extremely exciting for me to look forward to. I had my work family, they planned a run walk at, at the university in um, honor and support of breast cancer awareness so that I got to also partake in and come be a part of. Um, and so little things like that were really impactful that helped me basically be distracted by the fact that I was still you know, in the suck of treatment. <laughs> right. Because there were some delays. Well, one of them would have been the fact that you had to have a second surgery. Yes, that one was a really frustrating one because it was like I wasn't I, my radiation had to be delayed because you have to be completely healed in order to start radiation, which makes complete sense. But um, it just wasn't it was like, OK, we'll wait a little bit longer to see if it continues to heal on its own, continues to heal. And it just kept being like I probably was in the hospital once a week getting checked out to see if I could be ready for radiation. And that one was just a really tedious delay. But now here you are. How long past is it now, Amy? Um, so I celebrated my one year from being cancer free on September 15th. So I'm, I'm one year cancer free, but not entirely a year out of treatment. So I concluded treatment back in January of 2022. So it was after my mastectomy that I was deemed cancer free. There was no signs of active cancer in my body. Radiation is what we like to call like the cleanup crew after a party. So I'm just making sure that all the garbage got taken care of. (laughs) Oh, that's a good term, the garbage. (laughs) And so the surgery did capture all the cancer cells and that was just all then thrown in the trash. Yeah, well, my my body responded really well to my, my chemotherapy. So by the time I went in for my surgery, there wasn't any cancer showing up on the scans. And then I had clean margins from my surgery that um, allowed me to be deemed cancer-free. But you still had the surgery. And why was that? Yeah, so um, I, I'm not a medical professional. So <laughs> I'm probably not saying this 100% the right way. But basically, um, from my understanding, is that I could have said no to the surgery, but there's a possibility that there's still cells that are so tiny that are still lying around, like little bits of debris that you just can't tell on a on a scan. And so by removing all of that tissue, the likelihood of it coming back, you know, reduces it significantly. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's the reason why I also did radiation, because I didn't want to ever look back if my cancer came back in a couple of years going, I could have done more in the moment to maybe not be here. And that was my own personal decision because there are many different ways that you can decide what, what's best for you. And I think that that's good to ask and to ask, you know, your healthcare team, those questions of like, well, what if I do this? What does that mean? I think asking them questions is the best way to come up with the, you know, what works best for you. 
Absolutely. And thinking of your young age, that it's best to just extract everything that could potentially be an issue so that you have as much a clean slate as is possible. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Amy Wooten, you are such an inspiration and really so courageous because it isn't necessarily easy to share personal stuff about our life. But here, where it makes such a difference to each and every one of us to see how you went through this, things we can do, what's important. I just uh, so appreciate that your willingness to do that, to be with us and to tell us your story. Well, thank you, Kate. I think for anybody listening who is also impacted by cancer, whether it's a loved one, a family member or a friend that might be impacted, if you're trying to figure out what you can do to help or to be that really, really impactful, supportive community, I think that some of the things that were really helpful for me was people who weren't afraid to ask questions. You know, it's easier for me to share my story because people were interested and I wanted to help empower them to take control of their own health. You know, just be present, create space for them. Be yourself also, like don't feel like you have to change just because your best friend has cancer. Just continue to be yourself um, because that's what I wanted and all of my friends. And then ask what you can do to help sincerely or just offer what you're going to do. I had a friend who literally asked me, what can I do for you? And I said, I don't know. And then she just showed up and said, you know what, I'm here. And if you want to watch a movie, I'll we can watch a movie. And if you want me to go, I'll go. And it was like, oh, wow. You know, because you don't feel or look your best when you're going through treatment or even after a diagnosis. And just friends who showed up, that that was really powerful. And I enjoy sharing my story because, again, I just want people to know that, one, they're never alone when they're, you know, impacted by cancer. There's a lot of people out there. And I hope that it empowers somebody to advocate for their health, to go get that cancer screening and to lean into the community of support that they have around them. Well, You have stated it so beautifully and so personally. Thank you, Amy Wooten, for doing so and for taking time with us today. Thank you, Kate. And that brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Amy Wooten and Sunday Morning Magazine with Anna Gottlieb and Darlin Gray. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of sharing openly and honestly about all areas of your life. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 1069. Good morning.